Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. They saw the child at the head of his hosts. In the moonlight they heard the racket of his train of terrible shadows and ghosts with the hawk and the sable bratchet. Welcome to Wheel of the Year Samhain, the 22nd episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of 19th century poet Johannes Karsten Hausch. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meat. My name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. So this episode, we are obviously covering Samhain. We are indeed. I'm uh, very excited. Yeah. I love Samhain. It's <laughs> Gwyn like, and I have been like crazed. Oh, yeah. We've been crazed about this episode for like six months. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Because we love this time of year this so is a deeply. Wonderful time of year. So much fun. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a fun episode. Hopefully there's a little less echo this episode because we have some more furniture in this room now. The computer is not sitting on the floor. It's actually on a desk now. Mm, and we have our mascot. We have our mascot. <laughs> Gwen and I... Did The Witch's Tea, which we talked about a couple of episodes. We talked about last episode, yeah, we, yeah, we, talked, about yeah, last, yeah. we yeah. talked about that, that we were there as readers, so we went to that, and I guess there we, someone nominated us for an award? Because we won Best Witches Award, or which one I didn't of their even know Best was, Witches Award. I didn't know they were doing that. Nope. But it's, it's, it's a little golden skull with a dapper conical hat and a feather on, <laughs> so he now lives with us, and we love him. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and we love him. And we love He's adorable. And we do. He is completely adorable. He's freaking adorable. Anyway, so we have so, that now. Yeah, so we also have one new patron. Yeah. Oh, yes. Ooh, that's very so, important. Emily Hageland. Or Hageland. We're not Hageland. sure how to pronounce your name, Emily, but thank you for supporting <laughs> us. <laughs> we love you. We love you, Emily. It's we- just that G's are one of those tricky, consonants tricky. that can be pronounced in so many different ways, sort of depending on where in the world it comes from. So right. let's just put it down to... Emily right. is a new patron. Thank you, and Emily. We appreciate it and thank her. And this episode is a sponsored episode. Ah, yes. That's right. One, one kimono. Two, two kimono. Three, three kimono. <laughs> it's the Grand Rapids Kimono Club with the sponsorship of our leopard Akaneko. We at three. Three pagans and a cat are delighted to remind you that the Grand Rapids Kimono Club exists. A community of like-minded enthusiasts who can both learn about and display authentic kimono. At this thin and spooky time of year, consider whether any of our own ancestors might have worn kimono. If so, perhaps it's time to learn more about them and honor your heritage. Kimono are centuries-old Japanese tradition, and today are stunning works of art and cultural touchstones. There is no need to own a kimono to join the group, so check out Grand Rapids Kimono Club on Facebook. Ah, 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 ah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there's that. <laughs> special for you, Akaneko, just in honor of your Kimono Club and Samhain. And Sesame Street. And Sesame Street. And all the good things. And my incredibly terrible count. Yeah. That kept going in and it out. Got, it got worse it and got worse as time went on. It did. <laughs> Started pretty strong, rapidly declined. Okay. <laughs> Commercial done. Commercial complete. We may now proceed with the podcast. Okay. 
So, Samhain. Samhain. I'm so excited. All right. I'm so excited. And I just can't hide it. Are we going to choose a a candy? (laughs) No. No, No, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely not. What do you think this is? Professional? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so again. You mean the Celtic roots of Halloween? Yes. Sort of. Sort of. There are like so many layers here and so many like... They really are. Yeah. So we're going to do that thing we tend to do on holiday episodes where we just debunk a bunch of things probably and talk about a lot of history and etymology. Or at least I'm going to. So you mean there's not a god of the dead whose name is Sam Hain? Oh no, we'll get to that. sorry. We have to say it the right way. Sam Sam Hain, lord of death. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that part. So let's... Let's start, though. Where does Samhain actually originate? So Samhain, which is traditionally at the end of October and the beginning of November, partially because in the Celtic calendar, days started at sunset. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's the night and then the next day is what is considered a day. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The etymology of Samhain, two possible etymologies. Either it means summer end or assembly, depending on who you ask. Summer end is if you think that Samhain is constructed of the Proto-Indo-European derived words Sam and Fwin. And then if you think that it is derived from the Proto-Celtic word Samani, that means assembly. There are just two schools of thought on that and neither one really has stronger evidence than the other. Right. They just, mm-hmm. They've made it up, basically. Well, uh, made up in as much as... Any, yeah, I mean, a lot right. of... Because we're working with reconstructed yeah, languages exactly. and not right. extant languages, a lot of it's... It's, uh, it's a, There's a lot of theories. Right. Theories being put together with the evidence that we have available. Right. The strongest evidence for a summer end analysis, basically, right. is that... The Coligny calendar, which we've mentioned before, it's a lunisolar peg calendar. It's the oldest extant Celtic calendar we have from around the 2nd century AD. It was found in Gaul, and it dates from about the time that Gaul was Roman-occupied. Right. So, like, it has Roman numerals on it, but it uses Gaulish names for months and things like that. But it's one of the oldest calendars we have, and it begins with a month called Samanios which probably meant relating to summer, and may relate to or predate Samhain, especially because there is a period of time noted on the Coligny calendar in that month called the Three Nights of Samanios, where there was probably a festival of some kind held. That's the start of the of the Coligny calendar is this month. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are some people who say, well, that obviously means Samanios was a summer month, and there are some people who say, no, obviously that means it's Samhain, and that the Celtic calendar just started in October. So... Which is not unheard of because uh, Diwali, the Indian festival that happens around Mm -hmm. the same time, Mm -hmm. is also the beginning of their calendar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in the the 19th century, there were two scholars of Celtic literature and language. Sir John Rees, who was Welsh and a noted scholar of his time, hence the Sir. And Sir James Fraser, a Scottish scholar who also was knighted at one point and coincidentally author of The Golden Bough, they both proposed that Samhain was the Celtic New Year, essentially. Yeah. 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 And I think that's where you come up with the idea that Samhain now is the witch's New Year or the pagan New Year, however you want to look at that. Right. It's Mm -hmm. commonly used in that context. I think at least Mm -hmm. in part because whether it was officially the New Year or whether New Year's even were like a relevant concept to Mm -hmm. the ancient Celts, it's useful to us as a concept because a new year is a dislocated time. Right. 
it's that period between end of the old year, beginning of the right. new year is necessarily liminal, mm-hmm. is necessarily thin, it's a thin and that makes time. it, you're transitioning between the end of one thing, the beginning of the other thing, and they overlap each other slightly, but not perfectly. Right. So the idea is that this brief moment, these, this one to three day span that we now call Samhain, mm-hmm. is... Whether it was originally a new year or not, if we consider it a new year, if we consider it the end of thing, start of thing, period, that removes it from the ordinary time, Mm -hmm. the ordinary reality, and allows more magic to happen in that period. And I think that that bears out, because I think that just anecdotally, people can attest to the fact that Samhain is a thin time of the year. Energy is higher, divination is more effective, spellcraft is more powerful, your ancestors, you feel more connected to them at this time of the year. I think it bears out that it is a thin time. I think that's one of those things that can either be... Magic is so, like, wild, because sometimes believing a thing strongly enough makes it functionally true. If enough people believe that this is a thin time of the year and behave as though it is one, and the anecdotal evidence will stack up just because you believe it. Which doesn't necessarily mean that it's not also just factually true, but that's, like, like not a measurable phenomenon, so. Right. It is interesting that a lot of Irish mythology starts or takes place place around Samhain that's noted in a lot of the Irish stories that um, things of great importance happen at Samhain. Ronald Hutton, yeah. who, who yeah. wrote Stations of the Sun and some of those other books, com- of the Moon. Right, commented that it was his opinion that this was because Samhain was a time when rulers and chieftains and people of authority would all sort of gather together in one place to do these rites. So there were just a lot of important figures all in the same place at once. So he thinks for the same reason that Arthurian stories tend to happen at Christmas and at festivals that were common in the Arthurian kingdom, which was a Christian kingdom, for the same reason big dramatic story events happen in the Celtic mythologies Mm -hmm. at Samhain. Gotcha. And I think it's important maybe at this time that we can list some of those traditions that cropped up and that we still really in in many ways observe today. It always has seemed to me that Samhain is one of the few holidays or sabbats or times of celebration where it's not really changed all that much from when it was originated to today in as far as it is considered a thin time of the year And there are many traditions that grew out of that fire festival. Right. I mean, originally, as far as we know, Samhain was essentially just a fire festival and a harvest festival. Mm -hmm. It was mostly about harvest. Like, it wasn't so much about the, like, the speaking with the dead stuff that we do now. Mm -hmm. It was really, like, end of harvest festival. It was, like, they did the bonfires. They did the, like, protections that come with the bonfires and Mm -hmm. things like that. It wasn't, as far as I've been able to tell, it wasn't until All Hallows' Eve got started Mm -hmm. that the, like, the death associations started to filter into what we now consider Samhain and then Halloween. Actually tracing the like exact history of All Hallows Eve, which is a Christian saint, uh, feast day, <laughs> is difficult because there's not a lot of like contiguous lineage tracing it, especially because the church was sort of broken up into different like factions at the time. Mm-hmm. The earliest thing that we sort of consider probably having been like the genesis of an All Saints Day was introduced in the year 609, and it actually took place on May 13th. It was a feast to the Holy Martyrs, and it was when Pope Boniface IV 
consecrated the Pantheon in Rome to Mary and all martyrs, and he placed that on May 13th to probably correspond with the Roman festival of Lemuralia. Mm. Lemuralia was a festival where the restless dead were appeased and cast out of the house with black beans. We know that early Irish churches celebrated All Saints on April 20th for some reason, and don't have any idea why that is. We just have records of this happening. And then we know that during Charlemagne's reign in Germanic areas, All Saints was being observed on November 1st. And again, we don't know exactly why that was happening in Germanic areas on November 1st, but we do know that Charlemagne's son, Louis the Pious, confirmed this date and made it a day of obligation, which means that you like you didn't go into work. Right. It was a like holiday. A holiday. Right. And then that date was widely accepted in the Celtic world. It corresponded to Samhain. <laughs> and then what we call Halloween today is actually basically a contraction of All Hallows In. Right. Mm-hmm. So Halloween. Halloween. Just one of those corruptions that happens when you say things many times. And that derives mostly from the Christian All Saints Day trio, probably intended to supplant Lemuralia in Rome. And then American Halloween imported a lot of folk traditions from Irish immigrants Mm -hmm. and then was gradually ruthlessly secularized over time. Right. Right. Now, my understanding was that the traditions of Samhain that were passed down were that because it is a thin time of the year. People were putting in candles in their windows to draw the ancestors Ancestors, back home. They were dressing with masks on their faces to hide from... And light ghosts and white... You know, and light ghosts to to hide. I I haven't been able to find the, like, the sort of the origin point for those traditions. My understanding is it came from earlier Celtic sources. That 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 was handed down over the generations or over the years as a part of this entire celebration. That it was also, because it was a thin time of the year, they were concerned with being accosted, if you will, by unfriendly spirits. Right. I haven't been able to find anything that confirms that as mm-hmm. like a specifically, like a, an ancient Samhain tradition. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact that that was definitely the tradition in like the 18th and 19th centuries in Ireland. Mm-hmm. I just don't know where those things originated. And a lot of the time it's hard to track down like the root of mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. There is also the Day of the Dead, which is now celebrated at the same time as All Hallows, All Saints... Mm-hmm. All Souls, that trio, right. mm-hmm. which is the same time as Samhain. And that probably originates in an Aztec festival dedicated to Mictacasquat, who was the Lady of the Dead. And then Day of the Dead traditions now very strongly correspond to, and in some cases syncretize with, Christian All Saints Day. Mm-hmm. But probably originates from that older Mesoamerican tradition. And that originally also did not take place during what we now consider like the Samhain time, October 31st to November 2nd. It was originally another like May right, time festival. Kind of, yeah, and then it, it moved together. It moved post-colonization to this mm-hmm. time of the year. And I did find a book that I've actually been trying to find the entire book. I've seen snippets, snippets of, of it. Snippets of it. The, the book is the Celtic Fire Festival... Tlachka. There you go. Uh, by John Gilroy. Um, and it actually talks about some of the stuff your mom was talking about. Okay, some of those uh, yep, traditions. Yep, some of those traditions. So why don't you list some from of there. I don't have all of them down here. I mean, it talks about the Lord of the Dead in Celtic mythology being Don, D-O-N-N. Right, and then there's there's also, there are like three different gods of the dead in Celtic mythology. Right. Yeah, Nud is yeah, one Gwynop of them. Yeah, I think it's Welsh. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, part of that is that they come from different areas Nud of Celtic. To, from what I've read, is not... The underworld 
okay. but the other world. Mm-hmm. Oh, which, interesting. So there's, so there's a, a very subtle difference there, yeah, yep. uh-huh. which could be misunderstood and misconstrued. I can see where that uh, misunderstanding right. would happen where this confusion time. would build right. up. Yeah, yeah, where they would think, Instead of other world, they would well, especially him as a god of the underworld. Especially right. if it's because a lot of these stories were written down by monks. Mm-hmm. Right. So to mm-hmm. a monk, an other world and an underworld are basically are, indistinguishable yeah, phenomena. Exactly, exactly. In the book by John Gilroy, he talks about Don and the fact that Don was actually a Malaysian. Okay. Um, who was sent back out to sea by the Druids. Okay. And drowned. And through that became the god of the dead. I wonder if this story... basically adopted him. That's really interesting, actually. Yeah. That's a great Genesis story for a god. But I do wonder if, because this was probably written down Mm post-Christianization, I wonder if... So, like, a lot of the sagas in Norse mythology mm-hmm. talk about the gods as if they were just foreigners, essentially. Right. Dramatic humans who were then mythologized as heroes, which I know happens in the Mabinogion. Yep. A lot of the gods are basically presented as just being like people. Right. Great heroes, but ultimately just men who were subject to God. And so I wonder if that sort of thing has happened here where maybe Don's original origin was from another tribe of gods or something, like how Mm -hmm. the Aesir and the Vanir are two tribes of gods who have all these marriage ties and alliances now. I wonder if maybe instead of originally coming from Malaysia, a physical, like, earth place, Don originally came from another otherworld place. Yeah, so the Malaysians and the Tuatha Dinadan fought. Right. And so the Tuatha Dinadan actually beat them. Because the Tuatha Dinadan are normally known as the gods right. of the Celts. Mm-hmm. So it was weird that they would then take this one. Right. Of course, they did make him the god of the dead. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, but Frequently a tricky position to be in. That's his, right. Not his, generally a desired one. Just his, ask Hades. His abode is the Skellig Islands. Okay. Which, oddly enough, is just a few miles from Valencia Island, which is also off the coast of Ireland, which is where Magaruth is from, which is the Celtic sun god. Oh, and so the thought is that the Celtic sun god just goes to visit Don. Oh. Magaruth goes to visit Don. And during that time, it's winter. It's winter. It's winter. That's right, really interesting. Exactly, yeah. That's really, really interesting. Especially since Don was adopted into the pantheon. Right, yep. And so he's getting the, this visit from the sun god, which is ultimately like very like, thanks sun god that's very generous of you (laughs) to just go visit your new bro in the skellige islands yeah (laughs) and it just so happens that that means winter happens yep that's Mm -hmm. really interesting especially in the face of other like greek tradition where like winter happens because persephone is with hades for that half of the year and demeter is in mourning right that's a much more like positive reason for winter to be (laughs) happening yeah Go for a visit. Uh-huh. And this is also, Samhain would be the night that Don, Lord of the Dead, leaves his island and mm. travels freely throughout the country to carry off souls. I wonder ah, if that's see. where the confusion of Samhain, Lord of the Dead, or Lord of Death, I, came so, from, was from this Don, story of Don. Let's, Don. let's cover Samhain, Lord of now, the Dead. Now, Samhain, Lord of the Dead. Oh, my let's God. Let's do that now. That is still a thing I know. in the Christian world. They still talk about Samhain. I know. I know. You know, it's like, okay. no matter so, what you say, they don't get it. In some translations of the Mabinogion, not in all of them, but in like a handful, there is a minor figure by the name of Samhain, or a different spelling of Samhain, yeah. or a different spelling of Mac Samhain. He shows up exactly long enough to lose a cow and is then never seen or heard from again. 
Kind of like most things in the Maganagian. <laughs> frequently, <laughs> frequently people in, in the Maganagian show up, do a thing, and are never seen or heard right, from again. Yeah. Like so that me. isn't the case for Samhain. He shows up, he loses a cow, we never see or hear from him again, and he's not in every translation of the Maganagian. He only shows up in a, in a handful of them. Somehow... A British colonel named Valancey, who fancied himself a scholar, very erroneously, wrote a series of books, which were apparently just awful trash from start to finish. And in this book, he makes a reference to a deity. Samhain. Well, called Samhain or Saban. Right, right. Where he got that from, no one's sure. It could be he got it from reading this one translation of the Mabinogian and like misremembering I read, the, this I character's read role. That they think it was a mistranslation of something. Uh, even then, like it, who knows? That he just misunderstood. Whatever he dramatically it was he was misunderstood something that he yeah. was reading, yeah. or misremembered something that he misunderstood exactly. that he was reading. <laughs> Whatever happened, he wrote these books. They were awful. They were trash. They, they were, were thoroughly. Wrong. They were thoroughly, thoroughly debunked. Even in his own time. Other academics were like, this is the baldest nonsense I've ever read in my life. Okay, so... Just so that you are aware of that, that was, <laughs> Valency was completely debunked even in his own times. Crap writing. So that was in the <laughs> 1770s. Somehow, and I don't know how, Jack Chick of Tract Infamy got a hold of this idea... Found or, his book somewhere or, in a or, library or something. Or some further reference to Valencia's work, which was insufficiently critical, or who knows. Who knows. Somehow he got a hold of this idea, and he put it in one of his freaking comics about Halloween, claiming that Halloween was when the Druids used to sacrifice people to Samhain, Lord, Lord of, of the Death. <laughs> and that idea has been inexplicably enduring. Yep. Despite its total lack of factual Every evidence. year. I don't know how you okay. go from losing a cow to becoming the Lord of Death, but that is a hell of a career trajectory. Right? Let me just read two panels. The, the, the oh tract? Oh, God, do it. Do it. I've seen this. I've seen this. And you I have to. It's famous. Going, what? It's famous. I think it's the most famous one. October 31st was a night of terror called Sam Hain. That night... The Druids went house to house taking victims for human sacrifice. Today, kids celebrate Halloween on October 31st, but back then it was a horrible night. The pagan priests taught that Samhain, the Lord of Death, called back all the souls of the dead who had entered into animals. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. Just, just trash crazy. nonsense. Yeah. And, and, so, and but, the, like, that stuff wasn't even in Vancey's books. But the thing is, it's still being touted today as truth. Wild. And this is what Christians believe, which is why you'll find so many Christians not celebrating Halloween, handing super... out chick tracts and other things to try to get everybody to stop celebrating Halloween because it's about Samhain, Lord of the Dead. The good what's... news is, is that the Druids in exchange for the victim, would leave a jack-o'-lantern, according to Jack Chick, <laughs> um, to protect the house from death demons that night. So, so it was a good exchange. Right, it was, it was a, a good, good exchange. exchange. Here's the super ironic thing. So first of all, Halloween, like I said, a lot of those traditions just come from All Hallows' Eve, which is a Christian holiday. Mm-hmm. Right. It's admittedly a Catholic one, so maybe Protestant Christians get all up in arms about that. Oh, I Jack don't know. Chick has a bunch of uh, anti-Catholic yeah, he's Okay, so maybe, yeah. maybe that contributes. Yeah. I don't know. But more importantly, when I was a kid, churches used to put on harvest festivals Mm -hmm. instead of Halloween parties. 
which ironically brings them much closer to the spirit of the original Samhain. <laughs> exactly, because it was the third harvest. It was the, it was the final was the harvest final festival. the harvest before winter. It was gathering all the rest of the things, making sure you were doing ready. Doing bonfires. Doing bonfires, making sure everybody had their hearth fire lit and all this kind of Slaughtering stuff. Slaughtering the cattle that you needed to... to to survive, to survive the, winter. the winter. I mean, that's what it was all about. So, yeah, ironically, when a particular a particular group group of Christians started celebrating harvest, it is true they started being they, more they actually pagan. went more pagan, more pagan. Lorelai would like us to know that there's an entire novel series about Samhain, Lord of the Dead. Oh my God, is there? Yeah, so oh we need to find God. it. Oh my God, we must find this <laughs> I <know. laughs> shit. I need it in my life. Oh my God, that's amazing. So that's we'll have crazy. to find it somewhere. Uh-huh. And, and yeah, yeah. And we'll do a wonder, we'll do a mini review of yeah, it exactly. once we find that. That sounds this. hilarious. It really does. Oh my gosh! Oh Justin my just said several churches in his area are holding harvest festivals in the next two weeks. Yeah, yeah. really. When you it's think very about common. It, it's, it is very common. And here's the the funny thing: when I was a kid, the church that I grew up in did a haunted house and had a Halloween party, but, but it was probably more appropriate, right? <laughs> and then, of course, by the time I was in high school, they'd switch to a harvest festival because people were starting to say Halloween was. Uh-huh. It's evil. It was, it was evil. about the dead. And I remember doing a haunted house in the basement of our church with my mother. Oh Whoa. my god! Who would, I remember this story. Who would she borrowed a casket mm-hmm. from a local mortuary, mortuary? Mm-hmm. and had that in there, and then there was chain link on some of the floor. And this does not caro- sound like your mother. And there was caro syrup on some of the floor, because so it would it feel sticky. Uh, and yeah, because when, at least what, when, we, when were we were children, kids, it wasn't we a big kids, deal. It was, it was it, just part of Halloween. So Halloween I, was fun, and part of the reason that they started in the 60s celebrating Halloween the way they did was to combat Devil's Night, which was the night before, usually on the 30th, when a lot of destruction happened. Oh, a lot of... And a lot so of it was mischief. a Walpurgis Nacht. Let me, let me it just was a Walpurgis Nacht, yeah. Let me just say that watching the movie The Crow... Yeah. Aha! Uh-huh. And they talk about Devil's yeah, that's Night. Right, yeah. yep, that's right, they do. I had that, sort of just always assumed and that was something was they made, made up, up for no, the movie. Really no, wasn't. no, it was actually, it was actually Wow, really I had no idea. Happening. Yeah, cities all over the United States were having these real serious riots, problems essentially. with riots yeah. on the 30th. So they started promoting Halloween like on the 31st family friendly. as a fun, family-friendly thing to do. Gotcha. Then the candy companies got involved, right. and the costumes And then the ruthless secularization. And then the ruthless secularization of Halloween. But yeah, it originally started out, I read a a whole history on it. Basically, it was towns and cities Mm -hmm. trying to find a way to to come together to combat this problem. Interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. I had no idea that that happened. Yeah, yeah. The modern Halloween that we celebrate here in the United States was really probably started in the late 40s, early 50s. And it was basically just to remove the teeth from a thing that was getting out of hand. Exactly. Hey, guess what? What? It's time for reviews. Yay, and we're so excited about reviewing it. Oh my God, you guys. This is such a great book. It's great, yeah. It is a great book. So we started reading this actually because we have a long drive to Flint. To the witch's tea. So Gwyn read it out loud, read the first couple of chapters out loud to us during the drive, and we were immediately like, well, this is going to be a good one. Yeah, exactly. So we're reviewing today Forbidden Mysteries of Fairy Witchcraft by Storm Fairywolf. Uh, who I have never met, but Carr met at Convocation. At Convocation. Yeah, I believe it was a yep. little about Storm, Storm Fairywolf. I don't remember a ton about him. I mean, I just... 
I met him. You just I remember to him meeting him. I remember you yeah, said he yeah. was a very nice person. Yep. He's very well spoken, charismatic, yes. clearly yep. very charismatic, and very very knowledgeable. Yes, which and that comes definitely comes out, out in the book. In this oh my book. gosh, yeah. So we read this book. It's the very first thing we should tell you is that it's a intermediate to advanced text. Yep. Yes, and, and it was sent to us for a review. Right. For a, a non-biased, non-biased, non-biased review. Yeah. review. It comes out in November. Correct. So it's not out yet, but it will be out soon. I guess Storm wrote a previous book called Betwixt and Between, mm-hmm. which is which like the... Which we need to get a copy of. Which yes, we do we need do. to get a copy of. It's just, basically the beginner level of fairy witchcraft. If there are concepts in this book that are difficult to understand, it's because you probably need the preceding text. Right. Right. <laughs> but he very helpfully uh, right. includes glossaries at the back. And, uh, and an appendix. In, case, in yeah. an appendix to help you understand the terminology He actually recommends using. you read the glossary <laughs> and appendix yeah. one before you read, read any the, further. Yeah, read yeah. the back first. Then go and read the chapters. <laughs> or pick up Betwixt in Between and read that. And read yeah, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then still read the glossary first mm-hmm. and then yeah. go through the book. But it's a brilliant, it's brilliant a, It's book. a really, really interesting book. It's There's a lot of shadow work in it. Most mm-hmm. of the book, I would say, is about shadow work and about dealing with your own lowercase and uppercase demons. Mm-hmm. Would you like for me to read you the chapter title? Yeah, the yeah, chapter titles are great. Go ahead and read those So out. you can get a concept of what this book is about. Mm-hmm. So part one is The Dark Chapter 1, Witches in the Fae, Madness, Death, and Prophecy. Chapter 2, The Dark Mirror, Reflections of Light and Shadow. Part 3, I skipped over part 2, just mm-hmm. see how I did that? I see The it. Demon Work. Chapter 5 is The Wells of Creation, The Goddess of the Primal Elements. Part 4 is The Forbidden Rites. Chapter 9, which is the last chapter in the book, is Occultus Maleficum. The Hidden Art of Offensive Witchcraft. That's right. Yeah. So as you can tell, this is, as we mentioned, it is for intermediate to advanced witches. It's probably what you would call left-hand path, if that's something that concerns you. This Uh, is definitely not for somebody who is, like, really seriously Wiccan. In that, no, probably, in that kind of love and not. light, yeah. you know, is is your only. If the focus. threefold law is a concern for you, this book this may book not, is not serve you. Going to serve you because this really uh, parts it really of is. it may still be useful. Yeah, but yeah. I think there's really good parts on shadow work, especially yeah, yeah. in this book. But yeah, it is more of what people would consider more of a darker path. Mm-hmm kind of working, but those are things that I think are valuable to know. Right. And even though I don't practice fairy witchcraft, I'm intending to really just read this book again mm-hmm. and just glean what I can from it to add to my own yeah, practice. I, uh... And especially the, the shadow work. I thought that yeah. was really, really important because you have to be able to work with your shadow in order to do witchcraft, in my opinion. There's a lot of really good outlines and exercises for shadow work in yeah. here, especially yeah. if yeah. you're not super familiar with shadow work in general if you don't like even know how to begin approaching it this Mm -hmm. book will give you a lot of insight into to what that looks like and also to what that feels like honestly reading this book i was like super tuned into it for Mm -hmm. some reason like Mm -hmm. there were parts where i was he was relating stories about uh, rituals he participated mm-hmm. in, and I was like, I can feel it. I'm there, and he really uh, does describe these things well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yes. extremely a beautifully mm-hmm. written. Book. Oh yeah, it's yeah. the the language is superior. Yeah, and just it's it's exquisite, honestly. Yeah, it's even though it's almost you feel like like a high language kind of mm-hmm. book. It's very readable. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have readable. any. You know, it doesn't feel archaic or no, no, or difficult to parse. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a highly. It's very accessible. It's a very accessible book. That's a great way to put it. 
it. I had one sort of quibble with it, probably, and not really a serious one, but just one of those things that, like, rubs me the wrong way every time I come across it. Mm -hmm. He is talking about the fairy queen and king, and he relates them to Frey and Freya, who are the Norse Vanir, twins and sometimes lovers. And it was just, to me... (laughs) And I think part of this is because maybe I, I run into this this uh, concept of deities being aspects instead of like individual hard it's consciousnesses. These, right, yeah. And that always rubs me the wrong way a little bit. But to me, it felt like just like having two redheads in the room and saying, well, here's everything I know about Alice. I don't know anything about Janet, but you can probably treat Janet the exact same way you treat Alice because they're both redheads. And that just that just rubbed me the wrong way a little bit because mm-hmm. and it didn't like it didn't go into depth like that. It wasn't like, here's everything about Thria and why you should treat the fairy queen exactly the way you treat Thria. But just the comparison didn't feel apt to mm-hmm. me. And so that frustrated me a little bit but otherwise the book was great mm-hmm. there's actually a lot of deity stuff in it yeah, a lot very of, much so the, the fairy craft has a system of uh very specific deities that it works with mm-hmm. or at least this um lineage of the fairy tra- yeah, uh, the fairy tradition does blue rose blue yeah. rose yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is storm's lineage and so there are very specific deities they come from various traditions which is interesting it seems yeah. like it's a very syncretic mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. So that so and and it like it's hard for me to tell if that is an aspect of mm-hmm. like everything is an aspect of yeah. the one. But I didn't get the feeling from reading the book that you had to be in fairy witchcraft to use what was shared in this book. No, in your own I think practice. I, I mean, obviously, it's tailored for that. Oh, sure, absolutely. Um, but I think, especially since it does seem to be a syncretic practice in and of itself. I can't imagine that there would be, like, a problem mm-hmm. in syncretizing some of these things into your own tradition. Right, right. And, yeah. and that's exactly what I plan to do. Mm-hmm. Well, and I can't imagine that Storm would have written this book if he didn't think that right. would happen. That it would be exactly. right. if they were, if accessible these... to everyone right. who would want to apply this to their practice. Yeah, if, right. these, if these were tradition secrets, I don't think he probably would have no, written a book no, about exactly. them. Right, exactly. Um, certainly not one that was widely published, as but it this is, is going a, to be. But it is a nice... Long book, about 271 pages. Uh-huh. That's a yep. good read. It's very dense in topic. It covers, like, a range of topics, mm-hmm. but it covers them all, actually, in a lot of detail. Like, we yep. didn't... This problem that I frequently have where I'm like, I wanted more information. I didn't have that problem no, right. with this book. Exactly. It felt very thorough. And Everything I, that was mentioned, I felt like I, I got a thorough grounding on the subject before we moved on to the next thing. Yeah. And I would recommend reading it and then reading it again mm-hmm. before even thinking about implementing anything that you've read into your practice. Maybe even reading it a third time and taking it a piece at a time. And I wouldn't skip around from chapter to chapter, like from one section to the other. You could skip through some of these But I felt like it would make more sense if you read it in in a more linear fashion. I would read it at least once in a linear fashion. Mm -hmm. But if not every piece of these rituals is relevant to you, then you don't need to go through every piece of it. But there are points where Storm will mention, like, you need to finish this ritual before you can move on to that ritual yeah. and in those cases I would take his advice because obviously he wrote the book and knows what he's talking about on exactly that. exactly right. but in the long run I say this is a great book I give it if you ask for how many stars yeah, it yeah. received yep. I would give it a four and a half Okay. yeah same four and a half to five that, stars that's where I'm at as yeah. well uh, just so you guys know, if you want to purchase it, it is available for pre-order currently on Amazon. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can get it out there, and the pre-order price is significantly discounted. It's normally going to be mm-hmm. a twenty-two ninety-nine book, and it's currently 
on pre-order for fifteen seventeen. That's a damn, that is a good, a good discount. Price. Yeah, yeah. So it's about a thirty-four percent discount. That's or on exactly Amazon. Exactly a thirty-four percent discount. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Nice. So again, remember, it, this is intermediate to advanced practitioners. So get his first book, Betwixt and Between, or at least be very settled or, in your current or, or be tradition. settled in your right. current tradition before you tackle this book. Yeah. Uh, Betwixt and Between is also available on Amazon, on Amazon. for fourteen ninety five. Nice. Currently also on sale. You could yeah. get both of them. Yeah, you yeah, could just you bundle could get, it and yeah. have exactly. the whole thing. Yep. Uh, also, just as a, a side note, there were two or three really interesting tarot spreads in this book mm. that I'm going to be like digging into deeper because they were really really interesting they were both about shadow work mm-hmm. so yeah. if like you do divination with your shadow work there's some stuff in this book I really recommend it looks really interesting and awesome sauce. that one is a good time to do shadow uh-huh. work yeah. and yeah. divination actually yeah. Yeah. that's it for the reviews <laughs> we want to talk about some of the different symbols and stuff for Sawa yeah yeah, yeah let's, do that. let's do that I did find one that I, I just want to read because I think it's cool doesn't really have anything to do with paganism okay mm-hmm. but it is is the nine spooky poems Ooh. for Samhain. Well, I mean, there is no distinction, as Storm actually says in the book we just reviewed. There's very little distinction in Irish mythology between prophecy and poetry. That's so, exactly right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So here they are. Okay. In no particular order. Okay. Although, if Ode had to rate them, the first two would be the top two. <laughs> the first one is Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. Oh, yeah. Quality. The second one is Edgar Allan Poe's Annabelle Lee. Spooky. The traditional ballad of Tam Lin. Very interesting. First written down by James Francis Child in 1729, but had been around for apparently centuries before that. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually talks about being drawn into the arms of the Queen of the Fae. Mm-hmm. 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 In fact, they cover that ballad in some detail in which the book. Is yep. a, it, which is something that could happen to a person in, right. you know, the Celtic lands on Samhain. Yep. Samuel Taylor Coleridge's The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Mm, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Robert Burns' Halloween. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> William Shakespeare's witches spell scene. I love that scene. (laughs) Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. Fires burn and cauldron bubble. I love that. Robert Frost's ghost house. I haven't read that one. Me either. Lord Byron's darkness. Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. Byron was a dramatic piece of son of a bitch. (laughs) Yes, he was. And John Donne's The Apparition. Ooh, yeah. I like Donne. Anyway, I just thought those were fun. Well, and I think the point is that, you know, modern Halloween and Samhain, we can mix a lot of the things yeah. from, from the at this two. point. And of course, right now, Spooky is in. Right. Yeah. So at, at this point, we're very much at one of those times where it's, it only really matters for pure Reconstructionists. Mm-hmm. What exactly happened during Samhain as distinct from what exactly happened during All Saints Day right. as distinct mm-hmm. from what exactly happens now. Mm-hmm. Most of us live in essentially a syncretic time. Mm-hmm. Right. Frankly, so did your ancestors. You do you. Your ancestors certainly did. Whatever. Yeah, they did them. Exactly. Whatever. Yes. <laughs> You're 12, That's, I know. Yes. <laughs> But whatever whatever feels right to you about Samhain, essentially, like, unless you're jumping way off the deep end, it's probably going to work just fine for your practice. Yeah. Like, for instance, some of the traditions I read about that were said to have been of ancient Celtic origin. Right. Whether, whether we can prove it or whether not. Whether we can prove it or not, is you know, leaving food out for their ancestors, mm-hmm. 
lighting the candles. But one thing that I read today that I hadn't heard of, and I actually kind of like it, is burying an apple on a roadside, along a path. Crossroads. Crossroads probably. for lost spirits who have no family to provide for them. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I thought that was very That's cool. really beautiful. It is I a enjoy beautiful that because thing. I have a place on I have a place on my ancestor shrine for what I call the unknown dead, mm-hmm. where I offer to feed and protect and honor and remember and love the ancestors who, even if they aren't mine, if they just don't have anyone right. who mm-hmm. honors and feeds and loves them, I'm willing to do that because, as I've said before and probably will say again, the dead don't take up space. Yeah, right. You know, there's room at my shrine for all of them. So let me just say, if you don't currently have an ancestor shrine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh yeah, now would be a good time to, to put one up to not even not just start with that, but oh, go but- ahead and. Put Put your ancestors on your regular altar for mm-hmm. this time mm-hmm. for Samhain, and then move them to their own shrine after mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So it gives you a chance to kind of feel out how you work Adjust with to them. that energy. Right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, and then, we've actually created a place and a beginnings of an ancestor shrine in our home, which it, it's a beautiful tradition. Yeah. yeah. And it's a beautiful way to honor those who've come before you. Yeah, yeah, but I've had my my private ancestor shrine for a while, a while now, yeah. almost a year, and then we put together sort of a family one, family one when we settled into this house, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's just got a great feeling to mm-hmm. it. It does. It really brings a lot of like loving, protecting energy into it the does. house. It's really it's a great little corner that we've set yeah. up, and that yeah. we're continuing to add to as we go through all our photos and find all right, our dead. More and, more, yeah, and we've yeah. also put, like, my grandmother's tablecloth mm-hmm. and my uh, also another item of my grandmother's was a, a candy dish that mm-hmm. we're using as a little offering plate. Right. Yep. Things like that. And it, it brings a lot of meaning. Okay, so first do we want to cover the gods of the dead? Yeah. Sure, yeah. Okay. So Anubis. Yep. Obviously Egyptian. Traditional. Demeter. Mm. Greek. Sort of. Mm. Yeah. Sort of. Freya. Norse. Freya has so many jobs, but right. yes, that is one of them. She's a busy goddess. Hades. Yep. Well, Greek. Well, duh, yeah. Hecate. <laughs> I love Hecate. Again. Yep. Hell. Yes. Norse. Technically, Hell is the goddess of the dead. Freya is a, like, warrior dead goddess. It's like a different thing. Right, right. There's, uh, one is Valhalla and the other one is somewhere else, right? Uh, well, Hell has... Hell, which is the realm of the dead, named right. after her or her named after it. It's kind of a circular thing. But Freya has Fulkvanger, which is where her half of the warrior host resides. And then Odin has Valhalla, okay. which is where his half mm-hmm. of the warrior dead reside. Mm-hmm. And eventually, big fight's going to be fought. Mm-hmm. And doesn't Hell have a hall called Elginor or... Elgidnir. Hell actually has, yes, she has a hall, but she also has just province over the whole land of the dead. You're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is that that hell handles like mortals who die not in battle. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, Meng Po, who's Chinese. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. The Morgan. Right. From Celtic. Osiris. Egyptian. Egyptian. The dead death god. Yes. Wiriro, yeah. who's a Ma- Maori. Interesting. And Yama. Who's Hindu. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. I'm so. familiar with Yama, sort of distantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. anyway, so just different gods there. Mm-hmm. You could worship at this time. And honor. Right. And if, honor it's, if it's relevant to your path. Relevant yep. to yep. your path, absolutely. Want to talk about symbolism? 
He's what, making like a weird jazz fingers? fingers variation here. <laughs> or spiders. I'm not sure what he's doing. I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on. Or evil, I have evil stuff. Evil schemes. <laughs> evil schemes. It's more of an evil all right, scheme. Alright, let's go ahead and cover right, your so, evil schemes, whatever uh, those are. Symbolism of Samhain would be so these are like other names for it. So the okay. third harvest, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Right. The Dark Mysteries. Mm. Oh, Gentrique. Mm-hmm. And Rebirth Through Death. So, I mean, I think you can see how all of those kind of line yeah, how you, line how you yep. fit together. Hit all those yep. points, Absolutely. yeah. And then symbols would be gourds, apples, mm-hmm. besoms, mm-hmm. black cats, and jack-o'-lanterns. I've also seen bats and dogs yep. as mm-hmm. symbols of sound. Mm-hmm. Herbs would be allspice, catnip, nightshade, mandrake, sage... Quinn's Garden Gems. It's going to be a new thing. Uh-huh. It's going to be a new thing. Where he's going to be naming off Just, all these herbs. And, and you're going to be like, it's my time. It's my time. I saw you pick up the paper. Uh-huh. Yep. I was like, oh, well, that's because Mugwort's my last one on <laughs> That's here. right. That's right. And today, in honor of Samhain, I am going to be talking about Mugwort. Latin name is Artemisia vulgaris. It's an herb that is related to the moon and is considered sacred to Artemis, hence the name. Hence the name, In fact, all of the Artemisia varieties are sacred to Artemis. Logical. It is good for divination, for cleansing, for protection. And here's what I thought was interesting. In Wales, specifically, because Artemis is a protector of women, they would tie sprigs of mugwort around a woman, a pregnant woman's thighs if she was having difficulty in labor because it was meant to assist her huh. in, in the labor. The word wart mm-hmm. was an old word or an old English term for good plant. Yeah. So you've got St. John's wart. It means it was a and- good plant for... Some kind of a, a, a healing well, and, type and of thing. Herbalists were sometimes called wart crafters. Yes, wart crafters. So mugwort is considered a good plant, obviously. It was also used apparently, it's you know, obviously it's great for a tea. You can use it as a tea for divination, for lucid dreaming, for any of those types of work. And so it's especially good to use as a smoking herb, as something in a salve. Anything where you can sort of take it into yourself. Anywhere you can kind of take it into you, especially on Samhain, if you plan to participate in any form of divination. Mugwort is one of those plants that does prefer sunny climes to have a sunny location and moist but well-drained soil. Doesn't like the wet feet. But you can put it in a shady spot. As long as it's getting at least a good amount of indirect sunlight, Mm -hmm. it will still grow. You can grow it in a pot, but if you plant it in the garden, it can grow up to 1.5 meters. It has a very strong root system, so you want to make sure it gets a lot of room. Yeah, my understanding is that mugwort releases some kind of chemical that actually discourages yeah. the growth of other plants. Yeah, so oh, you don't want to have other plants too close to it. I've heard of it, I believe it's Circle Sanctuary, actually has created a hedge of mugwort. I think it is, yeah. yes. It's a wonderful herb, obviously, to have in your garden on your balcony in a Mm -hmm. pot. Its leaves are silver gray with white, kind of a white fuzzy underneath. Mm -hmm. It does flower in the summer. Obviously, it can be used for a lot of really good things. So I recommend either go out and get you some dried mugwort, get Mm -hmm. a mugwort smudging or or smoking stick. Get some mugwort tea, which you can get uh, organic mugwort tea on Amazon in various places. And give it a whirl. If you haven't tried it, you're going to like it. Yeah, I like to smoke all my divination tools with yes, mugwort, especially for the first time I use them. Yeah, yeah when I when yeah. they're new to me, when I get a new deck, I like to set up a mugwort smoke mm-hmm. and pass each card through the smoke to sort of cleanse and clarify it before I start 
Yeah. It's very good for, because it is good for protection Mm -hmm. and for opening up that third eye Mm -hmm. so that you can just be more receptive to the spirits and seeing clear and speaking true. true. So in my world, the world of beer, (laughs) wart is actually what is made by the mashing process Mm -hmm. that you would then add brewer's yeast to that then makes alcohol. Oh, Oh, interesting. interesting. So I wonder if you could make a mugwort. Beer? Beer? I mean, probably. We know some brewers. Right, we do. Find out. Oh, and one other thing. I did not know this until I was doing some extra research on mugwort, but it is actually very good for discouraging moths, and they believe that that's also potentially where the term mugwort came from. It is a contraction of another word that That meant meant moth moth. repelling. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. That was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Thank you. For that Gwen's Garden Gem. <laughs> Again, he's going up in the key. Uh-huh. Oh my yep. gosh, give me a break. <laughs> Happens every time. I know, but it's good. It's good. So it's you want to go Are we through... interested in what the foods of Salon are? I'm or interested. Do you all I'm, care? I, I, yeah, I'm always interested in the I'm foods. always interested in the food. Mostly because uh, I want to eat all of it. Exactly. Okay, bet you there's, well, I don't know, turnips? Oh, it's yeah. Actually, uh, they're kind of spicy, but they're okay in like a salad. Okay. I like turnips. Apples? Yes, obviously. Yeah. Gourds? Some. Some okay. squash, babies. I'm not into squash, no. <laughs> Nuts? Yes. Beef? Pork Abs- and poultry? Absolutely. <laughs> Give me all of that. Mulled wines? Oh, God, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm going to be making some mulled wine. I have a recipe that we can pass on to our listeners. It is a pumpkin spice cheesecake. Ooh, Ooh. I'm, I'm sensing a recipe. We should probably sh- share our make. recipe for pumpkin yes. muffins, too. Well, pumpkin muffins, as well as dinner in a pumpkin, which I enjoy doing. Um, my family doesn't always <laughs> enjoy eating it, but I enjoy making it because it's fun. And I- so... <laughs> The face I made was probably not complimentary. I enjoy stuffed peppers, so if you made stuffed peppers and dinner in a pumpkin... You know that the stuffing in the pumpkin you can have without the pumpkin part. Yeah, I know, but you cook it in the pumpkin, and then it tastes like pumpkin. Okay, I'll do stuffed peppers on the side for you. How's that? Thank you. But anyway, there's. um, I'm also thinking, if you're familiar with... Is it Leelanau Cellars? Witch's Brew Wine. Yes, oh my god. The best spiced wine ever, in my opinion. I'm thinking of making a mulled wine with that. Yeah, it's actually, like, not a good wine. It's super cheap. It's great for cooking. But we put it in stew all the time, and it's It's got, got like, a really full-body flavor that goes great in a stew. It really does. I would not drink it, just as it is, personally. No, it's fun for doing stuff, too. Like making mulled wine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll probably be good for that. Also, I have a recipe for soul cakes. Oh, yes, I've heard about those. I actually have multiple recipes for that. I'm not surprised. Because that is an old, I think that was a medieval tradition. Yeah, probably. Um, People would go a souling Mm -hmm. and they would, um, I I think they would bring cakes in exchange for money. Wasn't that how it worked? Well, there are two different um, variations. variations. So one is that. And the other one is that they would dress up, they would um, mum, which is to to dress up in masks and costumes and go to houses pretending to be the dead, basically. And they would sing and do prayers for the dead and receive cakes in exchange. Mm. Usually the peasants would do that. Mm -hmm. They would go door to door on All Hallows Eve. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, begging homeowners for food to celebrate the occasion. Yep. And then mm-hmm. soul cakes is what were given to them. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what modern day trick or treating is really based on. Yeah. Oh yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, it's totally based on that because totally if you didn't that. provide a soul cake, you yeah, were pranked. You get some, you you get some shenanigans. Yep, yep, exactly. So or cursed one. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, depending so, on depending, who you, yeah. depending on, on who you definition. failed to feed. <laughs> but if you did receive one, then you would pray Bless. for that person mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be received into heaven. Right. So. But yeah, we can uh, make sure that we upload both of those recipes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then I think it would be interesting now to hear, unless you have more about food, I think it would be interesting to hear about the jack-o'-lanterns, because you oh, mentioned yes. gourds a couple of times and turnips, and that is really where the basis of the jack-o'-lantern tradition comes from. It really from. is, yeah. Good. The jack-o'-lantern is a relatively modern invention. The folk tale that spawned jack-o'-lanterns goes back to about the 1500s. And the term jack-o'-lantern was applied to night watchmen and will-o'-the-wisps in the 1660s. Those were all people you wanted to avoid meeting on the road or in the woods in the middle of the night. Right. The will-o'-the-wisp because he would lead you into a swamp or something, and the night watchman because he might catch you doing crimes. The story that it comes from is one of those jack stories. Mm, I love the jack stories. Stories about some douchebag named Jack, usually a trickster. Beanstalk. Uh, uh, yeah, Jack Beanstalk is one of those Jack yeah. stories. Yep. Some some regular idiot getting up to shenanigans with assorted mythical creatures. Mm-hmm. So in this case, the creature he meets on the road is the devil. Jack, known as Stingy Jack or Blacksmith Jack, mm-hmm. meets the devil on the road and by hook or by crook, by a series of shenanigans, tricks the devil, traps the devil into agreeing not to take his soul for 10 years. And then the devil comes back 10 years later and says, okay, gimme. And Jack tricks him again. And this time manages to extract a promise that the devil will never take Jack's soul. So when Jack dies, he marches up to heaven all pleased and proud of himself. And he's immediately turned away because he's been such a vile man, lived such a miserable life that he can't possibly come into heaven. So he marches back on down to hell. And the devil says, I promise not to take your soul, Jack. You can't come in. Yeah. Tough luck, buddy. (laughs) You're just going to have to deal with that one. You made this bed go lie in it. And Jack, in a panic, cries and pleads for something to light his path. Because it's com- there's just nothing but darkness between heaven and hell. So the devil, still in kind of a snit about the whole tricks and traps thing, flings him a hot coal from the fires of hell that will never extinguish. And Jack, because he can't hold that with his bare hands, stuffs it in a turnip that he Carved carves a, a hole into. And he spends the rest of eternity wandering around in the dark with his hot hell coal in a turnip. And that is reportedly where the jack-o'-lantern tradition mm-hmm. begins. Because Jack of the Lantern is wandering around with hellfire in a turnip and no place to call home. Yep. And my understanding is that the Irish immigrants brought that here to mm-hmm. us here in the United States. And turnips were not quite as prolific as, as, yeah. and as easy to come by but at there that were plenty time, of pumpkins. But there were plenty of pumpkins. And so they started carving the pumpkins and putting candles in them as protection symbols on Halloween night. There are, that's one of those things where it varies by region. So mm-hmm. sometimes the jack-o'-lanterns are to attract spirits. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the jack-o'-lanterns are to repel spirits. They didn't actually start getting faces carved into them until like the 19th century in mm-hmm. America. And it's implied in Washington Irving's original Legend of Sleepy Hollow that the horseman replaces his missing head with, with a, a jack-o'-lantern. jack-o-lantern. And that's sort of where the carving faces into the jack-o'-lanterns begins. And Because previously it was just like, stick a hole, put a candle in it. Yeah, speaking, that's probably all I would actually. Do. <laughs> and speaking Not of very a, creative, speaking of a great story to read. Yeah, for, Legend for of Sleepy Hollow, Samhain and Halloween is 
Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Uh, yeah, go for that one. Exactly. Not like ancient per se, but 1500s no. isn't exactly fresh. Exactly. So exactly, and it's all part of the 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 legend and the framework of the mm-hmm. of the celebrations we have today. Yep. yep. Slowly building these things up. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. A lot of you know we do a lot of like debunking on the show during these holiday episodes mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like just there are a lot of misconceptions, and I think it's mm-hmm. interesting to as much as we can figure mm-hmm. out where these things come from. Sure. But that doesn't mean like that modern traditions are invalidated just no. because they're not old. Mm-hmm. That's an appeal to antiquity, and it's not very useful. Just because something is old doesn't make it truer or better than something that's new. Right. Exactly. And that is just as true in religion and in magic as it is in anything else. Yep. Mm-hmm. Colors of Samhain? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are the colors? Uh, black and orange. <laughs> I'm deeply surprised. Deeply surprised. White, silver, and gold. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so. Probably just warm colors in general, yeah. too, like browns mm-hmm. and reds. And That makes sense because it's third harvest. It's, and it's, yeah. and the, in certain areas of the country, you know, we, the trees the are, are turning golden and red mm-hmm. and orange mm-hmm. and brown, so it yep. makes sense. Stones of Samhain? Okay. Uh, any black stone. That makes sense, yeah. Jet or obsidian, something like that. Yeah. Uh, aquamarine okay. or Odes Stone Corner! Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> that was very loud. Very nice. <laughs> Don't sit so close. I can't help it. The table's smaller than it used to. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, myself on that one. Yeah. The, the table's closer than it used to be. I have to sit so close to, to you. <laughs> <laughs> so the stone we're going to cover today is opal. Which which is my next stone. Uh-huh. Which <laughs> is maybe not an obvious one for this time, but it'll make more sense as we go on. So opal is actually a mineraloid, not a mineral. It's a naturally occurring mineral-like substance, but it doesn't have crystallinity. Crystallinity is a regular and consistent arrangement of molecules in like lattice structures, which causes things like quartz and other crystals to grow in very rigid, formal ways. Opal doesn't have that. It's grown in water and it sort of seeps into fissures. And when the water evaporates, the opal is left behind. It's oh, a that's very cool. soft, low temperature stone. But it's so it's it has what's called an amorphous structure. So it is not strictly speaking a mineral. It is transparent to opaque and it can appear in almost any color on the visible spectrum. It's most common in white, gray, and green. Sometimes is also found in blue. The most rare and precious form of opal is black opal, which is the black-bodied opal. Even discounting the body color of the opal has what's called play of color, or at least precious opal does. There are two kinds of opal. Precious opal is the kind which displays play of color. Common opal does not display play of color, but has other opal properties. Precious opal displays what's called play of color, which is... When it is turned in light, you can see refractions of a whole rainbow of colors Mm -hmm. inside the crystal. That's not an actual pigmentation in the opal. It's the way the light refracts through the amorphous semi-crystal structures inside the opal. My father gave me an opal ring years and years ago when I was still a teenager. And that's one of the, my favorite things mm-hmm. to do. So I just can't turn even it wear that ring anymore, but it's, uh, I just love to look at it in the light. Yeah. That's, so that's the most famous property of opal is, is what's called play of color. And that's not present in common opal, which is a more milky substance, the typically more opaque, and it doesn't have the play of color in it. It has instead what's called opalescence, which is a property by which transmitted light 
makes the material look yellow or red. Mm -hmm. And then scattered light perpendicular to the transmitted light makes the material look bluish. So if you transmit light directly through an opal, the exact point that the light hits, that the opal will look red or yellowish. And perpendicular to that point, the opal will look bluish. Interesting. Both kinds of opal, precious and common, can also display what's called adularescence, which is a milky, typically white or bluish luster or glow that seems to originate from inside and beneath the surface of the stone. It's more commonly seen in moonstone, but it does sometimes appear in mm. opal specimens. So it's a, an extremely beautiful stone, whether it's precious or common, but the precious is the kind we're sort of really talking about right now. Synthetic opal is produced by like two companies, and then there's also synthetic imitation opal, which is even worse than synthetic opal because it doesn't even contain the same chemical components. But synthetic opal can be identified from naturally occurring opal by the uniform sort of chicken wire pattern of its patches of color, mm -hmm. as opposed to natural opal, which has much more varied patches of color inside. So there are a couple of reasons to talk about opal right now. One of the reasons to talk about it is that opal is the birthstone for October. Mm -hmm. oh. So if you were born in this month, opal is your birthstone, whether you knew that or not. The other reason is that all forms of opal, and because there are so many different colors of opal and forms of opal, so like there's opal that comes from Mexico that has like a red, reddish, yellowish body and sometimes has like a green play of color in it. That's called fire opal, and that's a distinct form of opal. Black opal comes from like one area in Australia and is extremely rare and beautiful. White opal is more common and is found in various mines. And so like there are all these different kinds of opal. There's a there's a blue opal that comes from I think Russia. So there are there are all these different kinds, but all of the forms of opal are good at a few specific things in addition to having their own sort of natural preferences. All forms of opal are extremely creative, good for doing creative things, whether that's producing art, writing, singing, dancing, any creative action you can undertake, opal will support. They're good transformation stones, in part because they have all those layers inside them. Pliny the Elder, I think, the Roman, mm -hmm. wrote about opal as containing all the other stones, because you can turn a piece of precious opal and see all these, these rainbow colors inside it. So it was considered essentially the king of stones. Mark Antony once betrayed a Roman senator because he possessed a, an opal ring of extremely beautiful quality and he wanted it so badly that the only way for him to get it, and the senator refused to sell it, so the only way for him to get it was to betray the senator and ambush him on the road and kill him because the only thing he could take with him when he fled from his home was his opal ring. Huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was there was once a king who offered to sell half his kingdom in exchange for an opal of surpassing clarity. Like opals were one of those stones that, for a long time, especially in antiquity, were super highly valued and like drove people essentially crazy because they were so beautiful and they were considered to possess so many like magical properties. Mm -hmm. It was at one point thought that if you wrapped an opal in a bay leaf and held it in your hand, it would confer on you the power of invisibility. Mm. And for this reason, it was sometimes called the thieves stone. Like it was supposed to have all kinds of magical properties. properties. 
Which is why it would be good for Samhain. Exactly. Which is why it would be good for Samhain for doing magic, especially transformative magic. It's also a good journeying and dream stone. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing some of the shadow work from the book we talked about, Forbidden Mysteries of Fairy Witchcraft, if you're doing some of that work, maybe bring an opal along. It might boost your, your results. Strangely, it's got a down tone, more typical of grounding stones. So... We've talked about this before where I don't really do the vibrations thing, but mm-hmm. stones to me have an up or a down tone. Typically, a stone that's associated with dreaming, transformation, stuff like that would have an up tone. Grounding stones like bloodstone have down tones. Opal has a down tone for some reason, and I suspect that's because it's got such a strong like water element feeling to it, mm-hmm. partly because water is a, const- is a strong constituent part of its creation. So it feels like more rooted in earth stuff. That water is also probably why it's so good for intuitive work and for dream stuff Mm -hmm. and because for spiritual things, because it's got that like ambiguous element. It also has an extremely variable personality. So unlike some stones where you can sort of reliably say what the personality of an individual stone is likely to be based on how sort of the stones in general respond... Opal, even within, like, one category, is extremely variable. So it could be aloof or enthusiastic. It could be soothing or aggressive. And it's really hard to tell until you handle that specific opal and get a feel on it. I found the opal I want. Okay. And when I have $30,000, I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, black opal. Exactly. Yep. That is probably black opal from from Australia, from Northridge or or wherever exactly that mine is. But uh, uh, a single carat... Of black opal from Lightning Ridge, I think is what it's called. Yep, Lightning Ridge. Yep. A single a single carat of high quality black opal from Lightning Ridge can go for fifteen thousand dollars. This one's eleven point seven five carats. Yeah. And is only thirty, so I feel like it's a pretty good deal. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's it for Odes Stone Corner. So, what do you say we talk about some activities for selling? Yeah. I have no activities. You have, you have no, no activities, activities listed? Well, I'm not really. Oh, seriously? Well, the, I know well, that... Well, do you have some? Well, I know that then one of the things... Then why did you bring that? <laughs> because I figured you'd have a list. It's okay. I have some. <laughs> I know that one of the things that we've talked about is the dumb supper. Yeah. Uh, I prefer to call it a silent supper, partly because it's alliterative and partly because right. then I don't use a slightly pejorative term. Mm-hmm. But that is a tradition for honoring the dead that started, I think, in the 19th century, probably. Mm-hmm. It sounds like something the Victorians would yes, come up with. Yes, it does sound like a Victorian thing. <laughs> um, where you... Set out a meal, uh, and you leave an empty space where you can serve the dead. You light a candle there instead of seating anyone there. And from the moment you enter the dining space, you must be silent. You must not speak to anyone during the meal. So the host will serve everyone, including the dead, and then you'll all eat. And when you're ready to leave, when you finish your meal, you get up. You go to the chair for the dead. You say your goodbyes to, to any dead who are lingering or who you're struggling with their passing. And then you leave in silence. Mm-hmm. And you cannot break your silence until everyone has left the table mm-hmm. and the table has been cleared. My understanding is there's a version of also of the Silent Supper where no one looks at the mm-hmm. space yeah. where the, the dead are. And that you then take that food out to deliver to the good folk. That's a variation, yeah. Mm -hmm. There are some variations where everyone at the supper writes the messages they have for the dead on a a note that they keep secret with them through the meal. And then at the end of the meal, the candle that represented the dead is used to burn 
all of the notes one at a time uh, until only ashes remain, mm-hmm. and then that's scattered over the, the plate of the dead, mm-hmm. and then that is removed to a place where it can be consumed mm-hmm. by creatures of the wild. Yep. So obviously, Samhain is the night where you can remember and honor your ancestors, communicate mm-hmm. with your ancestors. Yep. And there are, you know, obviously you can do that through divination, you can do that through scrying, seance, any of those kinds of things. There's also a lot of divination done with apples on Samhain. Yeah. There's some really fun traditions <laughs> that I was reading about, you know, from, from days gone by where, <laughs> like, girls would take an apple and they would peel it all the way down in one piece. And then I've seen it where they either toss it into a bucket of water and it it forms the Mm -hmm. the initial of their intended or they throw it over their shoulder, their left shoulder, and it, however it lands, is the letter letter of who they are intended to marry. I've seen uh, traditions where, you you know, bobbing for apples. Yes. The first girl who gets an apple, so like you put a a big, big bucket with a Mm -hmm. bunch of apples in it and all the unmarried girls would all bob for apples at the same time. Mm -hmm. The first girl who gets an apple is the first girl who'll be married the next year. Mm -hmm. I've also seen that bobbing for apples is the person who gets the apple has good fortune for the entire Mm -hmm. coming year. Another interesting thing, this isn't apples, but this was with chestnuts. And it's, they would write the the initial of all the eligible bachelors Uh and maidens and whichever ones popped simultaneously, those, <laughs> those, that, two, were, those, those were, two had to get together. Those were the ones who were paired <laughs> to marry. But one of the superstitions that followed is if your chestnut disappeared, uh-huh. that person was going to be dying sometime Ooh. within the year. I saw a similar. A I saw a similar tradition where bringing back the bonfires mm-hmm. of Samhain. You would put down, a a bunch of participants would get together, everyone would have a stone assigned Mm -hmm. to them, right? You would put down your stones around the bonfire, and then everyone would light a branch on the bonfire and go spinning, dancing wildly around the bonfire, exulting and having a great time, right? Mm -hmm. This was a medieval tradition. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that was all fun and games. Mm -hmm. But in the morning, if anyone's stone was missing from the bonfire, from Mm -hmm. the ring around the bonfire, that person was doomed to die before the next year rang in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there's another tradition where a young maiden can sit in front of a mirror and obviously in a darkened room Mm -hmm. and see the vision of who she would marry. A lot of love and death happening in in these divinations. And of course they also, this is where a lot of traditions of the Banshee Mm -hmm. came along, especially in Irish Celtic families. They would have to worry about the Banshee screaming for someone in their family. Yeah, I don't know if the Banshee screams more commonly during Samhain, or if it's just the Banshee in general is always Mm -hmm. a bad omen, but yeah, you Mm -hmm. definitely don't want to hear her. So they said, uh, one of the things that I read, because it was specifically talking about Samhain, Mm -hmm. said, you see a washerwoman in a, you know, oh, the washer at the ford? The washer at the ford who is weeping. That is, in some Irish traditions. tales and traditions, that is a banshee. She is mourning someone's upcoming death. Okay, see, I've always seen the washer at the ford uh, as a representation of the morrigan mm. washing out the shirt of whoever's going to die in an upcoming battle. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Yes, it is. And then, of course, you could do masks and costumes. Even if you're not going trick-or-treating, yeah. you can call to that mumming tradition and wear masks or dress yourself up as someone in particular Mm -hmm. for ritual or for specific works. I think everybody ought to dress as me this year. (sighs) That would be easy. T-shirts and jeans. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. It's that simple. 
And of course you decide if you want to uh, incorporate traditional Halloween pumpkin carving, trick-or-treating with kids, any of the, like I think last year we we had created corn dollies during Maven and we, we burned them on Samhain. On Samhain, yeah. We did not do that this year because we, we were moving that. the yeah. whole time. We, we were not able to do so that. So we have a question. Okay. On the Discord. Would it be appropriate to go to a cemetery during the day to commune with your ancestors, particularly if they are buried in a Christian churchyard? Okay. Yes. I agree. However, yes. there are some things you need to keep in mind anytime you go to a graveyard. Mm-hmm. First is that you have to make sure it's open for public access, especially if it's owned by a church. You have to go to the church, maybe, or the graveyard keeper, whoever's in charge of that graveyard. Mm-hmm. You have to go and make sure that it's okay for you to be there because some of them are private and don't allow just like anyone mm-hmm. yep. to have access. You need to make sure you're there during operating hours. So most graveyards actually are closed during the night. Dawn so the dusk, yeah. Yeah, so definitely. And that's why this is yeah, during, during the, the day. day. During yeah. the day. Yeah, mm-hmm. so definitely do that during the day. And then a lot of graveyards have specific rules about what you can take and leave at a graveyard. So if you want to gather graveyard dirt, that's one of those things. You need to know if that's okay for you to do. And if you want to leave offerings for your ancestors, that's another one of those things. You need to know if that's okay for you to do. There may be graveyard ordinances. There may be city ordinances. Mm -hmm. You need to check both of those things before you make any plans. Now, the cemetery I used to work at Mm -hmm. many, many, many Many moons moons ago. Many moons ago. Many moons ago. We had an infant who mm-hmm. was buried there, and they always left stuff, mm-hmm. and we gave them two weeks. Right. So mm-hmm. we would let it sit out there for two weeks, and then and we then would remove, remove it. it. Yeah, so. yeah, I think it, it comes down to the cemetery, yeah. what the rules yeah. are, and what the ordinances but are for it's, the city. It's always appropriate to go and honor your ancestors Absolutely. there. As, I mean, on, on any day, honestly, because your ancestors are for the whole year, not just for mm-hmm. Samhain. But if you don't have a lot of connection with your ancestors and you don't do this sort of work regularly, Samhain is a very good time to start it, certainly. Right. And a graveyard is a very easy place to connect with mm-hmm. your ancestors. And it doesn't really matter whether it's a Christian graveyard or not. Mm-hmm. Your ancestors right. were probably they, Christian. They're your ancestors. Right. Yeah. They're, you know, they're yours mm-hmm. whether they're, they were Christian or not. Right. You need to make sure, you're, especially if it is a Christian cemetery, that you're not going to do something publicly that will upset the caretakers and cause them to ask you to leave mm-hmm. which if they do ask you to leave you should just do that because it's not worth right yeah. the fight yeah. the the argument probably yeah so but no, no sky clad rituals yeah, in no, the cemetery but you could certainly go into a cemetery and do a quiet uh, a meditation, uh, meditation. Yeah. 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 exactly um, yeah. any of it, you yeah. know, presenting of flowers and, anything well, like and that would right. be if you can't fine. if you can't leave physical offerings mm-hmm. like uh, a lot of uh, cities have ordinances where you can't mm-hmm. leave coins you can't leave flowers you can't leave rocks right. you know that's right. extremely bad because it's a like long standing Jewish tradition to leave a stone on the top of the grave you visit so I don't understand how they can even say don't do that that seems like a like a major religious mm-hmm. faux pas but anyway so there are some places where you're not allowed to leave things if that's the case where you live or in the graveyard specifically that you're thinking of visiting yeah. what I would suggest is bringing a bottle of water or vodka or or something like that yep. that you can just pour out just pour yeah. out a, a small libation a yep. small libation yeah. absolutely again just do your research of, mm-hmm. of the particular cemetery that you wish to visit go during operating hours and be respectful to, yeah. to yep. the rules yep. yep oh and one thing I've seen is that I know some people like to have specific smokes when they interact with their ancestors mm-hmm. mugwort is one of those yep. obviously mm-hmm. but you can't obviously go into a graveyard with like a retaining yeah. stick or with uh, your mortar and pestle like full of fire like that would probably get you thrown out 
So one thing you can do is you can roll a cigarette, essentially. Like, you can get cigarette paper, roll the herbs in the cigarette, light that, and then you don't even have to smoke it. You can just hold it in your hand as though you're going to smoke it exactly. and let it burn down. Right. Exactly. And that will allow you to sort of stealthily get your smoke up in the mix. So cigarette rolling papers, for those who are unfamiliar, would also be marijuana rolling papers. Right. It's the same thing. <laughs> but but it is, you. it's like, it's not exclusively it's used for no. marijuana. No, no. So... That's why I said is also. Yeah, but, well, well, I'm mentioning specifically that it's used for tobacco because that makes it essentially innocuous. Yes. Right. To some extent, yes. So you may get some side-eye from people, but not, like, guaranteed going to jail side-eye from people. Right, right. Yes. Three pagans and a cat does that. Does (laughs) Does not not endorse endorse illegal illegal (laughs) activities. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. All right. Is that it? Have we covered it all? Um, there is so much. To, there is to, a lot. Oh, I, I wanted to really quickly cover Norse traditions. So in heathenry, this time of year is winter night or Vekernath, which is the three days which begin the winter season in medieval Scandinavia. During this time, Alfablat and Disablat might have been done. Disablat especially was also maybe done in February and March. We discussed, discussed this earlier as Disting. Yep. Uh, I can't tell you anything about Alfablat because the one reference we have to it is of a guy trying to go to various households during the time it was being held and being turned away from the door, breaching all laws and contracts of hospitality because Alphablat was happening at that time. And the only thing we know about it is the name, which means it probably was related to the elves or to the male ancestors because Alfar can refer to both of those gotcha. classes of people. And that maybe Odin was involved because one woman who turned him away from the door invoked Odin's displeasure if he continued to prevent her from from doing Alphablat. That's all we really know about that. The other tradition in heathenry is that the wild hunt starts at about this time, continues until Yule. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so wild hunt has been recorded in a lot of different places, in Germany, in Scandinavia, in Wales, in France. The first recorded instance is actually in Britain from the 12th century, when two monks in two separate parts of Britain reported these thunderous, invisible hosts riding and causing havoc for weeks at a time. Popularized by Grimm in 1835 and did the usual Grimm thing of making it more than it actually was. (laughs) Um... So the wild hunt is sometimes said to be led by Odin or Wotan, sometimes by Hulda or Perkta, sometimes by, like, dead kings, sometimes by King Arthur, even. But it was composed of the dead or fairies or other spirits who would sweep through the land, killing anybody who happened to get in the way, essentially. Gotcha. Yeah. Very cool. So that's everything. That's, that's everything? everything. Yep. All right. And we just want to encourage you, go out there, have a good time. It's mm-hmm. a wonderful... Have some good, clean fun. Have some good fun. <laughs> uh, celebrate Samhain. Incorporate your friends and family, your Halloween traditions that, that can coincide. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's it all kind of blends together So in, in many yeah, ways. Yeah, it's very... It's actually really, really easy to celebrate Samhain as a pagan, even with your family who's, mm-hmm. like, not into it, just because... It's Halloween. So... They, they see it as Halloween. Yeah, there's you so much syncretism Samhain. between... There's so these. much syncretism going on that, you know, just enjoy yourself. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of those where you don't have to do everything super stealthy because everyone already expects a spookening. Exactly. Okay, we're good. Just making sure this is actually <laughs> Yeah, the we're, end. Good. we're done. Yep, we're done. We're done. All right, so you can find Three Pagans on a Cat at threepagansandacat.com. That's the number three, paganzandacat.com. That is indeed it. 
You can also find us on Facebook at the number 3PAAC. That's 3PAC. You can also find us on Twitter at 3 underscore Pagans. You can find us a bunch of other places, but if you want to find those, I'm not going to tell you what they all are because they're really long and annoying. But you can go to our website and click on any of those links and it'll take you to those things. And oh, and you can support us on Patreon. Yes. Oh, yes. We have a Patreon. We have a Redbubble. We probably will soon not have a Google Plus because I read that like Google Plus is going away. Oh, news to me. Yeah, no, we hardly use it anyway. So. <laughs> I haven't been using it much. Yeah, I, I didn't even had Google yeah. Plus. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So on the Discord, the Discord server, they were talking about, and I think it was Lorelai was talking about doing some kind of gift exchange, mm-hmm. Secret Santa, Secret, Secret Santa. So Secret Father Chris, uh, Father Yuling. <laughs> so we thought. I'm going to steal that idea, so Lorelai, thank you. (laughs) We're going to kind of facilitate this. So, if you want to be involved in this Secret Santa-ing thing... Amongst all all our listeners. Amongst Mm -hmm. all of our listeners, you need to email me. So that's car at three, the number three, pagansandacat.com. So car, like you drive, at the number three, pagansandacat.com. So email me with your name and your address, and then we will go through all of those names that we get up until just before Yule, probably Mm -hmm. about the time we record the episode, so two (laughs) weeks before Yule, and then we will send out those to people. So we'll divide them up, and And everybody will get them, we'll pair people off, so that Mm -hmm. Everybody who is a part of it will get something mm-hmm. from somebody, hopefully, if they follow through. And it through doesn't and have to be something extra. Keep it like but I'm oh, gonna yeah, say yeah. Dollar less tree than, people. <laughs> well, I'm going to say less than $10. Yeah. yeah. So less than $10 on whatever you're sending. Preferably, everybody would love it if you would handcraft them something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can handcraft something not knowing who it's going to yet. Maybe, in addition to your name and your address, include your path or tradition that you're mm-hmm. from. In so case that's information to... that your mystery partner finds useful or interesting. Yes. Yeah. So your, anyway, we thought it might be fun. Your yule or your Yuler. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to do that. So email me and we'll get all that information together and mm-hmm. divide it up and send them out and make yep. everybody happy and great. And we'll give you more reminders. As and yeah. Lorelai is actually on the Discord, and she applauded of me stealing her suggestion. So there you go. Perfect. I think it's a really neat idea. I do too. I do too yeah. uh, so and in this way, we'll yeah. be able to facilitate it beyond the Discord. Right. Because I know exactly. not everybody is on the Discord. Yeah. Right? So we'll do it. So. Discord. We're also going to post it on our Facebook. We'll yep. post it on our Twitter. And, and of course, you're and listening you all now. Listening. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So that's it. We're done, right? Yeah. I think so. I think all so. right. We're good. I think. I think that is everything we plan to discuss. That's everything. Our little. Our little. Skull, we have to find a name for our. Little, Gwyn is moving around the little golden skull we talked about. So we have to find a name Yorick? for Yorick. <laughs> No. <laughs> no, no, that's too. That's, that's too, too on the nose. That's too, on the yeah. on the absent nose. <laughs> now we have to come up with some. So if you have a suggestion for the name, oh, there you go. of our, our dapper golden, golden skull, our dapper golden skull. Let us he know because really we need a name for this dude because he's gonna be here apparently every time now. <laughs> so we will take a picture of him and upload it to our Facebook uh-huh. uh, page. Actually, it's already there. Oh yeah, I, you I, did. I, yeah. I took a picture and, and already uploaded it to our so page you, or to our group. To no, our I think page. to the page. Uh, so if you go, I'll be able to go to the page more if you if you go to the <laughs> Facebook page for three pagans and a cat you should see a photo of our darling of, golden skull of dapper golden skull so if you if you have a suggestion for a name for him let us know share yeah. <laughs> all right that's it right yes, we are finally I think done we're finally that done 
Are you sure? I think no, so. I, don't know. I think that's everything. Yeah, that's that should be it. Yeah. Okay. Other than blessed Samhain, everybody. <laughs> and don't. Am I stopping it or I, not? I mean, yeah, I think go, go, just go, just, just, go. just go. Okay, you could have stopped just it right go. then. Well, I, but I, I wasn't gonna... sure. Like, if you, I don't know. Just, just, you just all go. are done. Just, You're not going to yes. say anything no, else. No, we're good. Okay. Just hit end. You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Find out more information at www.threepagansandacat.com.